If you are anything into pop culture, you probably have heard of Kanye West and his confession. Uh, he, he is saying that he is born again and he has had this understanding of who Jesus Christ is. I've watched some of his videos, uh, read some of the articles, and I must say it's, it's heartwarming to, to see his confession, such bold confession. And yet in one of the articles I, I read where it said that many are waiting for him to fall that it's only a matter of time before he will fall because we've seen so many celebrity confessions and then after some time they, they just fall away. Uh, the article goes on to say, we tend to be like the older brother of the prodigal son rather than his brother. We become faith auditors rather than... Uh, brothers who will come alongside and, and pray and encourage and worship uh, together. But it raises a question, right? It raises a question, what does the Bible have to say about falling away? Will we fall away? What about you? What about me? What is the threat about this idea? That we, can, that we hear often, people who've confessed and they've fallen away, what does the Bible have to say? What does the Lord have to say? So let's turn to John chapter 16. We've been doing a series on John, and we have reached John 16. And today I want to, I want to title this sermon as to keep you from falling, John 16. Let me, let me give you a context to this before we start. John 16 is a time where uh, it's the upper room ministry. John 14 has ended by saying, let's go. And it seems like Jesus is still continuing to talk about some important matters. We, we do this often, right? In our church, we have seating, uh, meeting in the seat, meeting on the feet, and meeting on the street. Have you heard of that expression? Like, we have the meeting. And then we're not done, so we stand around and talk and talk and talk and talk. And then we say, okay, let's go. It's time to go. And then we go, and then we stand on the street, and we talk some more. But it seems like something like that is happening here. Jesus has already said, the hour has come. We need to go. And, and then he continues to talk to them about something very important. And I want to suggest to you that this is so important for Jesus to tell his disciples. In, in a time like that, it is therefore important for us. Okay, and so this, um, before, before we look at that, I want to pray, but I want to pray by drawing our attention to um, um, Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2. This is the woman, man, to whom I will look. She or he that is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word, humble and contrite, and trembles at God's word. Father, as we hear your word, we pray that it will be in its power. We want to be ones who understand the, the impact of the word into our lives. We stand here, Lord, not in any which way, as, as being anything at all. 
but nothing. Oh, Father, we pray that our hearts would be contrite, that if there's any sin in us, it would be pointed out, and that we will be ones who will tremble at your word. Take all glory, O oh, Father, we pray. In Jesus Christ, our Lord's name, amen, amen. Uh, we've also wanted to do something very different this time. This is something we are trying out. We don't know if it's going to be a distraction or if it's going to be an encouragement. But we made copies for all our toddlers to color, uh, but they'll go with the sermon. So I want to look at John 16 to keep you from falling and look at it in three parts. The first is the affirmation. I belong to Jesus. The second is the affection. I love Jesus. And the third is the anticipation. I long for Jesus. So affirmation, affection, and anticipation. That is what we will look at. Three reminders that Jesus gives his disciples so that they do not fall away. Three things he says, listen, this is something I want to leave with you before I go away so that you do not fall. The New Testament writers pick that up. If you read Hebrews, you will see that being elaborated really in detail as to why and how we will not uh, fall away. But here is Jesus Christ. The three things. What, what are the three things? The first one is affirmation. Second is affection. Third is anticipation. Let's look at each of that. But I'm going to read to you first from John chapter 16, verses 1 to 4. <clears throat> you can read with me aloud if you will join me, please. So John, John 16, 1. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you will remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. So verse 1, let's look at verse 1. It says, I've told you these things to keep you from falling. And so the question we need to ask is, what does that mean, to keep you from falling? Some of your translations have it differently. One translation says, from stumbling or from falling from abandoning your faith or being enticed by evil. So falling away means this. I want you to think about this, right? Falling away is this, anything that moves you or separates you from Christ. When you walk away from Christ saying that Christ is no more my Lord, my Savior, and you walk away, that is what is falling away. And the Lord says, I'm saying these things so that you will not fall away. But you might ask me, but falling away, I thought that was the Lord's work. The Lord's the one who said he's, he's not going to let me fall away. He's the one who's going to keep me. There is this divine tension, I want you to understand, between preservation of the saints and the perseverance of the saints. Um, Herman Babnick says it really well. If he can move the slide once. No, the one before? 
Okay. Preservation of the saints is also both gift and task. Okay. It's a gift and a task, both of them coming together. And so th that's what I want us to understand. What Jesus does at this point, one, he prepares them. Four times he's already told them that he's about to die. And so that they understand he's about to die. And so therefore, as he expounds the truths to them, right? And uh, second, he prays for them. Remember Peter. Uh, he, tells the, he tells Peter, Satan has demanded that he will sift you. That he, he will cause you to fall away. But I have prayed for you that your faith fail not, and then when you have gone through it, you will strengthen your brothers. Okay, so Jesus is actually praying for us. But now he points out at this point. He's pointing out, he says, the coming of their hour. In verse 1, it says, coming of their hour. He's talking about their, verse 4, sorry. It's the enemy's hour that Jesus is saying, the enemy's hour is coming, and so... I'm, I'm trying to tell you something. I'm telling you something so that you would not fall away. Then in verse 2, the Lord turns up the heat but adds comfort. He's saying there, I'm dying, but not just me. You're going to die too. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be excommunicated. You're going to be put out of the synagogue. That's what he's saying. You see, excommunication for us in a church is, is something which we would say, all right, if one church puts me out, I'll go to another church. But that's not the way an excommunication from a synagogue in that time would work. Excommunication at that time would mean that you, you are actually uh, a pariah in the society. You cannot buy, you cannot sell, you can't be involved in the society. It was a big thing. They're going to excommunicate you from the society. And not just that, they're going to persecute you. They will even kill you. They will think that by killing you, they're serving God. The question I have to ask myself, and you would ask yourself is, how is that a means of comfort? Jesus is saying, I'm saying this so that you don't fall away. And he's saying, I'm going to die. So that's a good question to ask. Like, how? But that's because he had already told them that the world has hated him and they will hate you in John chapter 15 and verse 18. And in verse 19, it says, they're going to suffer because they belong to me. What Jesus is saying is, if I'm the master and they've done this to me, they will do that to you as a servant. And when you are persecuted, I want you to understand that's because you belong to me. That's the form of affirmation. They, the disciples understood this. So therefore, you will see all of those 11 disciples, except the 12th one, he was a son of perdition. He um, betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. But all seven, all 11 of them, sorry, they were willing to die, lay down their lives for him because they understood persecution is by no means a matter of falling away. It is an affirmation that they belong to Jesus Christ. This world is going to hate you as it hated me. That continues on even today, even, even as it happened to the disciples, even today. Um, Jeremy Hunt in UK says this, the persecution of Christians in parts of the world is at near genocide levels. We are the most persecuted faith group in the world. I had a, 
uh, text from a friend of mine from Ethiopia. Ethiopia has been traditionally a bastion of Orthodox Christianity, but even there, they're experiencing terrorism and persecution against Christians. Tertullian is the one who said that, that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Every time there was persecution, church, in fact, increased. The truth, therefore, is that suffering is not a, a, a reason to fall away, but it's a confirmation, it's an affirmation that we belong to Jesus. When you suffer for Jesus Christ and for your faith, so when you pass passed on, you know, you're not given the promotion because of your faith, or when your friends and your colleagues or any of any you know, anyone in your circle, they don't treat you right because of your faith. I want you to understand that that's the natural response of the world to those who are otherworldly. We are not. We are in the world and not of the world as we will see in chapter 17. Okay, and so, so therefore rejoice. And I ask myself, why would I then want to walk away from Christ who tells me I'm his and he is mine? For no fire in hell, no pain on earth, and no principalities in the heavenlies can snatch me from his affirmation. But not just affirmation, there's also the affection. I love Jesus. Go to the next one, please. All right, let's read from verse 5 to 15. From now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of the world is judged. I still have many things to say to you and you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and I will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Right, so the second one is affection. The second reason, the reason is affection. Um, it's talking about the coming of the helper. And the helper, in, in some of your translation, he's called the advocate, or he's called the comforter. What, what beautiful uh, um, adjective for the helper, for the Holy Spirit. Right, he's going to come and help us. And the advantage of his coming, we read in verse 7, is to our benefit. Jesus going away and the Holy Spirit coming is to our advantage. And then the scope of his work, what is it that the Holy Spirit is going to do is from verses 8 to 14. Verse 8 says, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Watch in your Bibles as I read this, okay? And then in verse 9, 
it says, it goes on to explain what those three things mean, sin, righteousness, and judgment. Verse 9, it says, sin, because they did not believe in me. Why is it a sin that they did not believe in me? Because if you don't believe in Jesus, who is the only way to salvation, if he is the one who's rejected, it is sin. I mean, it's sin will, will lead to death. And Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world, saying that belief in Jesus Christ is going to be the basis of your salvation. And if that is rejected, that's going to be sin. And verse 10, it says, righteousness, because I'm going to the Father and you will no longer see me. And what Jesus is saying here is that this act that I'm doing at the cross, dying for you, being buried and raised again is being accepted by the Father. And so I can go to the Father. When I go to the Father, it means this work that I did on the cross for your righteousness is fulfilled, is, is true. And so therefore the righteousness, and that will be the other conviction that the Holy Spirit gives us. When we trust the Lord Jesus Christ, we believe in his work, his death, his burial, his resurrection. But not just that, verse 11, it says, judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. The, the devil has been condemned. The life taker, the devil, has been destroyed. So Jesus, in giving his, <coughs> sorry, in giving his life, gives us life. So in these three convictions, what Jesus, uh, what the Holy Spirit is saying about Jesus is that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the way because it's sin not to believe in Jesus Christ who's the way. Is the truth because the truth of the work that Jesus did. And then we are seeing here that he is life. He destroys death and gives us life. And so that's the three work that the Holy Spirit does towards the world. But not just that, there are two other things that he does towards the Believers, and that's what we read uh, in the next two verses. That in verse 13, he will guide the disciples into the truth. And verse 14, it says, he'll glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll, he'll glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. What the Holy Spirit does for me is to help me grow in my affection for Jesus Christ. What the Holy Spirit does is not just that it convicts me of sin and tells me that it is what I'm doing is wrong and points me to Jesus Christ, but not just that, I'm going to go grow in my affection towards Jesus Christ. I don't know how many of you will agree, but uh, many of you who came to know the Lord Jesus Christ when you, were, when you were little, you came to know the Lord because you didn't want to go to hell. You wanted to go to heaven. True. You all said, yeah, don't, I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven, so I want to believe in Jesus Christ. Now, the question I want to ask you is, who did you love more at that time? You loved yourself. You loved yourself, and so you didn't want, you wanted to go to heaven. And the Holy Spirit uses that little babe childish confession and grows you because if you're still there where you want to go to heaven because you don't want to go to hell, then there is something wrong. But if you want to go to heaven because of Jesus Christ, because you've grown in affection for Jesus Christ, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now I love my Jesus so much more than when I first came to him. He is the beloved of my heart. 
that is not my doing. My heart is not so easily affected by the things of, the, of, of God. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. You see how advantageous it is to have the Holy Spirit work in our hearts and show us about the Lord Jesus Christ. I was talking to someone a couple of weeks ago, and, um, and we see, uh, you know, I, I knew that he was not in his right place, in, you know, he's not in this right place in, in a spiritual walk. And I asked him, how are you doing? And he says, I'm doing the best in the, you know, in these past months. I've, I've been at my best. I could only think this, I could only think this, and I want to put it up there so that we can read that. Oops. Many re remain deceived, assuming, assuming things are going well and seem even happy in spite of sin. That's cause our sinful flesh is most at peace with itself when it's not asked to surrender or sacrifice what it loves, that is sin and to love what it hates, holiness. Let me explain that to you as you see that. You might feel good about yourself because our flesh in its natural sense is not asked to sacrifice, give up what it loves, which is sin, and love what it hates, which is holiness. And so it's easy to get deceived. Hebrews chapter 3, 12 and 13 says this really well. And we'll see this in a, in a bit. But lest there be in us an evil and unbelieving heart that will make you fall away from the living God, it says. That by the deception of sin, your heart would be hardened. Sin can do that. Sin can give you a sense of you know, it sings the lullaby to you, makes you feel good. You need to come back to God's word through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit has said something in his word and points out from the word saying that that is sin, you must and we must tremble at God's word as saying that that is sin. I need to put it aside. Nothing short will be sufficient. So the Holy Spirit convicts us. It also makes us fall in love again and again with Jesus Christ. I'm being loved and loved with the darling of heaven who died for me. The first we saw is the affirmation. Then we saw affection. Now I want you to see anticipation. Um, okay, so let me read from 16 and 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You'll be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come, and when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, I will give to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy may be full. 
Oops, sorry. If you go back. Okay. All right. So, uh, so I long for Jesus. The first I said is affirmation, which is I. I belong to Jesus. Second is affection. I love Jesus. Now I want you to look at anticipation. I long for Jesus. All right. So it's true that the Christian will suffer. It is true that the Christian faith is the most persecuted in the world. But what is also true is that our suffering is not an end in itself. It's actually leading up to something else. And that there is this anticipation of the coming back of Jesus Christ. And that is a glorious thing because we, we, we saw just now that this is anticipation is like the giving of a giving birth, the, a woman giving birth. You see, that's what we saw. If you can move that. Okay. Our past is taken care of, our present is precious, and our future is joyful. Because what happens, I mean, you ladies who, who've had the joy of giving birth, you know what it means when you, when you have sorrow, and the moment the, the baby is born, the sorrow is forgotten. You see, the joy of having a child and holding that child in your hand is much more precious than all the sorrow that you've gone through. And that is what jo uh, the Holy Spirit is trying, uh, uh, causing us to remember through uh, about the coming of Jesus Christ. He's trying to say, listen, all the sorrow that you're going through is nothing. This light momentary affliction is nothing compared to the weight of glory that awaits us. The anticipation of his coming. So true. When Jesus says, you, you know, you're mine. The world is going to hate you. It affirms for me that I belong to Jesus Christ. True. When it says, you know, there's this affection, this growing affection that I... For, for one who is willing to give his life for me, am I not willing to give my life to him? And that growing reality that Christ is all in our life, that's the beauty of what the Holy Spirit does for us. And that all of this that I'm going through is just for a brief moment. Whether it be loneliness, whether it be crisis, relational crisis, a financial crisis. I don't know what it is that you're going through. You might feel overwhelmed and uh, too much. The days are not ending. It is cold. It's dreary. I want you to be encouraged, dear brothers and sisters, of this anticipation of knowing that, that he is coming soon. He's going to take you to be with him. And that is uh, 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 exciting in my heart that nothing can kill. Affirmation affection and anticipation of Christ coming. You see, he began by saying all these things I'm saying to you that, um, that you will not fall away. And see how he ends. He says, these things um, I'm telling, um, let me read to you from verses 31. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you'll be scattered each to his own home. I will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you. In me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I 
believe in Jesus who gives me this peace because the one who was persecuted, the one who was hated, has overcome the world. And so he invites me as one who I can trust in him as an overcomer, as the one who can look forward and, and know that I don't have to fall, I don't have to fail, that through the strength that he gives me, through this affirmation, whether it be through the affection or whether through anticipation, I can wait, I can know that I can trust him. And that's the kind of peace that he says, I want to give to you. But how do we make this real in our life? How is, how is this going to be real in our life? Uh, we refer to Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 to 13. It says, take care, brothers and sisters. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. So an evil, unbelieving heart is the basis of you falling away, which means if I don't believe the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, if I don't believe the person of Jesus Christ, if I don't believe the promises of Jesus Christ, if I don't believe that he is the overcomer who gives me the peace, then it is so possible for me that I've laid, placed myself at a time where I'll fall away. But what do we have to do? We exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. When we think everything is going okay. Just like this person I was talking to. Who feels everything is okay. That's what sin does. And so to prevent that. The church is called to exhort one another. To encourage one another. Every day. Every day. So that we are saying that. This is God's word at which I will tremble. I won't walk to the left or to the right, but stay exactly in what God is asking me to. And so, if we were to say, you know, I want to be a hearer, and we keep saying I want to be a doer. As a hearer, I affirm that I belong to Jesus. I have the affection that I love Jesus. I have the anticipation I long for Jesus. But I want to be a doer too. And this is what I want you to do this week as I seek to do it too, to encourage one another every day while it's still called today. Will you talk to somebody? Will you text somebody? Would you have tea with somebody? Just to encourage and to say, brother, sister, this world is that we are living in hates you. Sin can deceive you. Our flesh is, is against us preventing us from living that Christian life, the, 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 the faith that God has called us to. So come, let me encourage you, and will you please encourage me likewise. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your son would take time, even as he was looking ahead to the crucifixion, that he will pause and he will share to us these beautiful truths. And we pray that as a church, we will be ones who will encourage and exhort each other. Exhortation would mean sometimes to say no to what they think is right. And that we would have the courage to come alongside and to tell the right thing. And that we will have the humility to accept because it's in God's word. Give us the contriteness of our heart, O oh God, 
that when you convict us through your spirit, that we will say, oh God, I'm a sinner. I want to give up on those idols that I've held on to. And that we will cling fast to Christ as he holds us. We thank you again, Lord, for this church, and we pray for each one of us here and for every head that is bowed. We pray that you will keep them as you have promised them as they walk this narrow path in the strength that you have given them. In Jesus Christ, our Lord's name, amen. amen.